Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. And just before we start the show, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, The Mimi Boutique, a Baltimore-based boutique carrying all the latest and hottest modest clothing head coverings and fashion accessories and ladies and even some children's fashion definitely go check out that store in baltimore and if you're not in baltimore you can check it out online by going to themimiboutique.com and i'll be wearing some of her dresses in a lifestyle photo shoot i'm doing this week i'd like to personally thank you for having the francisco show as part of your weekly routine and here is your show I'd like to welcome everyone back to the show. If it's your first time, welcome today with us. We have Shoshana Keats-Jaskell. I am so excited for this interview. Welcome to the show, Shoshana. Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor. Well, I'll tell everyone out here, you were just in Philly. You were on tour in the States just a few weeks ago, and I got to meet you personally. You spoke in the Philly community, and it was really an educational an inspiring experience for me. I'll talk about why it was inspiring for me a little later. But for anyone out there who has never heard of you, let's just give them a two-minute rundown of what you're about and what you stand for. So I'll give you the so floor. So I grew up in Lakewood, New Jersey, not far from Philadelphia. And when Lakewood was just a town of, it, it did have the yeshiva, but there were a lot of different kinds of Jews, conservative, reform, ultra-Orthodox, but there was really not, it wasn't distinctive communities. We just were just Jews, and we all said good Shabbos to one another. I made Aliyah three times the last time to Bet Shemesh, and it just happened to be that the last time when I made Aliyah, things were different. They were not what I expected and not what I was appreciating. I saw that women and girls started to be removed. Images of girls were being like slowly, slowly taken out of publications, and even like pictures of like girls' feet, like weirdness. And my daughters were asked to go to the back of the bus. And all of a sudden, there was this Judaism that I didn't recognize. And I started to talk about it. And when I started to talk about it, other people started to want to hear more. And they started to tell me what they heard and what they saw in their own communities. And it wound up being obvious that it's not just happening in Beit Shemesh, but that it was unfortunately happening all over the global Jewish community where this extremism and these trends towards the extreme were kind of taking over. And I kind of became an accidental activist, just talking out about the things that I saw that were harming the Jewish community. At the same time, my aunt was an aguna. She was being refused to get, and I wound up being in the Bit Dean with her, um, kind of like representing her, being, being in her stead because she was in New York and I was here in Israel. And it all kind of came together in this imperfect storm of extremism and things that should not be happening in the Jewish community. It kind of just turned me into this activist, talking out about the things that I saw, wanting to make the Jewish community healthier. I got together with other women who were doing the same thing, and we've been doing this now six years. No, it's not true. I've been doing this six years. We've been together for about three years. Well, it's amazing what you're doing out there and how I would describe it and how we talked about this, and I quoted you on that. I said you're very involved in emergency Judaism. What do I mean by that? <laughs> in terms of, you know, if there are aguno or there are issues within the Jewish system that uh, women aren't being represented or women's faces are being erased or women aren't getting the medical help they need because they're so unaware in their communities. So you sort of 
fell into this role where your your activism is involved with emergency Judaism related when it comes to women. And I felt like the way it relates to what I'm doing is I feel like I'm involved in wellness of Judaism. Let's say somebody is in a happy marriage and a relationship or in a beautiful family and everything is fine. And then they feel like they can't express themselves because of how Judaism is represented today or always. How can women find their voice? How can they express themselves? How can they be well? within the Jewish community. And that's really why I thought you'd be a great fit to have on the show because you have that aspect, you have that experience, and you have that exposure in terms of dealing with these kinds of issues. So do you have any comments to make on this observation? An interesting thing that you say when you talk about emergency Judaism versus wellness Judaism, I'm actually a really, really big believer in wellness in general. I believe in taking care of yourself. I believe in not only exercise, but also like taking a beach day and going to the chiropractor regularly. I really believe that we have to maintain our health and wellness, mental and physical, and not just wait to get sick, God forbid. I'm a big believer in that for myself and for my kids. At the same time, you're right. There's challenges in Judaism. There's challenges for women in Judaism that are really hard and being able to function within those rules and within that space, I don't want to say box, but that space where women have to be and being able to take care of yourself in that way is not an easy thing. So first of all, I think it's really important. And I do think if people were more worried and if the Jewish community was worried about wellness, then you wouldn't need the emergency Judaism, right? You wouldn't need that, oh my God, women don't know what the signs of breast cancer are. Women don't know in very insular and Haredi societies, the names for their body parts. Like if we were worried about wellness, if we're worried about making sure these things didn't happen, so then you wouldn't need that posters, you know, telling women about breast cancer and you wouldn't need emergency, help me, I'm in the bait zine and I don't have a lawyer and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to represent myself because these things would be already thought of beforehand. These things would be part of the healthy Jewish community. And I know you're talking about women expressing themselves, which is vital, right? If a woman can't express herself, if a woman can't be who she is, if she can't feel good. So that is going to start a destructive cycle that eventually is going to come out. So I think that they go very much hand in hand to the point where if you have wellness, God willing, you don't need that emergency. You're always going to need emergencies. People are always going to, there's always going to be extreme situations. But unfortunately, I feel like we are having many more extreme situations than we are having well situations. And and that's the scary thing to me is that we've gone from a Judaism that worries Look, Judaism itself in the Torah deals with all these kinds of things, charity and self-care. It really does. If you if you take the time to look at the way that Judaism is set up, it's meant for a healthy sustainability. And then you have those things when things go wrong. But unfortunately, we've kind of given up that wellness and just, I don't know, I think we're kind of careening off the rails. Well, I think it depends on where somebody is rotating or around. I think women today who are on Facebook and on Instagram are aware of the from women faces being erased or women's faces being erased and stuff like that. But if they're in the art space, they're, I, I mean, I think everyone's exposed to a little bit both. When I was talking about the things in your speech, basically telling it over to someone, I heard this rebuttal and I was like, I can't wait to ask Shoshana what she says on that. So 
when you said six years ago, we didn't have this issue. It did not exist. You know, the pictures from Sarashnir or whatever those pictures were, no one used marker to cover mm. anything up. Like those kinds of things, it's completely new. And then somebody said, well, social media is new and this is to counter or to fight this because now so many things are in everyone's faces. The, the answer was this is a, a counter reaction or this is a reaction to a so, new problem. What's that? Pro the problem is social media. Why is social media the problem? Well, because women's faces weren't floating around on everyone's devices okay. until there's an Israeli ago. expression. It goes like this. Alek. Okay, which basically means, okay, but really strongly. So I'm going to say Alek to that, okay? First of all, it's not true. They started erasing women's faces, I would say, 15, 20 years ago. It started in the most like insular populations. Before there was social media, Instagram is not the reason that they're erasing women's faces. So it's very, very nice to try and blame social media for the reason that print media of people who don't use social media, is that's the reason that they're erasing women. It's not true. It started off in really insular communities, like the Ger Hasidim, things like that, okay? And then slowly, slowly, because people wanted to be able to market to as many people as they could in the Jewish community, others started to do the same thing. There has been pornography for far longer than 20 years. There have been women in billboards and advertisements for far more than 20 years. There is a definite tend towards extremism, unfortunately, when it comes to the world itself and when it comes to Judaism. But what's interesting is that happens to be a there is, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a pornography epidemic throughout the yeshiva world. I mean, why do you think you have all of these advertisements for internet addiction, quote unquote, okay, what they call internet addiction is porn. And I have spoken to many people who deal with young men and young married couples who counsel them because the husband and the, or the groom to be is addicted to porn. And the irony is maybe you can say that because of the internet and pornography and men's addiction to pornography, so they started to remove women. Maybe you could say that. I don't know if anyone's done the study, and I don't know if the person who told you this is willing to acknowledge what's happening in the Shiva community, certainly in America. But if you were to say, imagine this, how is erasing women any less sexualizing than pornography, which is exploiting women? It's not. The problem is that if you want to counter pornography, if you want to counter the exploitation of women, you have to show a healthy, normative, loving relationship, not one that that also treats a woman as a sexual object, which is exactly what you do when you erase her. Because when you erase her, you say, impossible to look at a woman in any other way other than a sexual object. Pornography is the same thing. It's literally doing the same exact thing in the opposite direction. And it's not helping at all. Erasing women is not going to stop pornography. Erasing women is not going to teach men to be respectful of women. It's really a problem, but it's not Instagram. It's very interesting. And I love when you started speaking, you said... How we're not dealing with issues of halacha. We're not pushing halacha. We're dealing with situations where people are doing things in the name of halacha when it's not. Okay, so you mentioned an issue in the Haredi slash Yeshivish community. And I wanted to pose a question a little different angle here. And I did reach out to Rabbi Scott Khan to ask him for some ideas on how to get you <laughs> off, your, off your game a little bit. And you might not have an answer for this, but 
as someone who criticizes the Orthodox community and in a very public way, are there any things that the the Shivish slash Haredi community does better or does well as opposed to other communities within Judaism? And I'll just reference to one of Rabbi Scott's last episodes where he had Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz on the Orthodox conundrum, where he said that modern Orthodox communities, and you'd be surprised, deal with child sexual abuse in a, they're less, the yeshivish community is taking it more seriously and implementing certain things than the modern Orthodox community. Well, he mentioned something about being in a modern Orthodox place on a Friday night and all the kids were outside and there were no one was chaperoning and that would never happen for other reasons maybe but him bringing awareness and saying you can't just have all the kids outside at night and nobody watching them there's no awareness here but this is a perfect place for disaster to happen mm, interesting so no problem so the question is what does the Haredi community do better than others is that the question yeah I think the Haredi community is astonishingly incredible when it comes to chesed, without question. When someone is in need, they pull together. They mobilize like no one else. The reason that in Beit Shemesh we're losing the city is because the Haredi mobilize better than any other population. If they call to people to come out and, and protest and get in the streets, they come out. They act as a unit. And that is something that we lack significantly. Not, I don't think, because we don't, maybe because we don't see ourselves as a unit, maybe because people are working and they don't have time to come out into the streets, maybe because we're just too moderate. But I would say, number one, the chesed is wonderful. But, but the problem with the chesed being wonderful is it goes back to the beginning of our conversation. Chesed is emergency. It's somebody's sick. Somebody's dying. Somebody's father passed away and she's got eight kids. It's, uh, I, I haven't worked ever and I have to marry off my children now. What do I do? I'm in an emergency situation. Um, so when it comes to that kind of stuff or someone's in the hospital and they need meals, you just can't function only that way, right? It, you can't function only when, oh, something's wrong. I'm going to answer the need because that is easy. It's easy to answer a specific need. You don't have to think. You just have to respond. Someone needs a meal, I'll give them a meal. Somebody needs money, I'll give them money. But to plan in advance and to think, how can I keep this from happening? How do I not have a, a, a couple who has no money from having to marry off 10 kids and having no money? Oh, so that takes forethought and that takes work. And that takes, I'm sorry to answer it in this way, but as you ask me the question, this is what I'm thinking. So on the one hand, there's nobody better. They have gemachim for everything. Pacifiers, wedding dresses, shiva chairs, bris mila pillows, everything. They are kind and generous. A hundred million percent kind and generous. Without question. That would be my answer to you. Unfortunately, for a good community to, to, to be healthy, you can't only be responsive to an emergency. You really do, as you said, have to have wellness. I like this theme. Thank you. So moving on to wellness, and we're going to talk a little bit about your podcast and your space in social media and how you're using your influencer space. And I'd like to just hear some of your experience in terms of putting yourself out there and dealing with that, because a lot of artists do deal with that. And one of the questions I have, and I don't know if this probably doesn't relate to many artists out there, but it could. Are you nervous that whatever you put online out there can be used by haters from non-Jewish communities. 
saying, you know, if 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 a Jewish Orthodox person says this about the communities or said that, you know, they could use that against Jews. And you sort of feeding them amazing information on all the all the hot buttons to, to tear us apart. So it would be it would be quite arrogant to think that it's my post that gives them fodder to use against the Jewish community. That's first of all. There's plenty of stuff out there that have nothing to do with me. I mean, all you have to do is pick up a, a newspaper. You can see that that women aren't there. Uh, you know, all you have to do is look in the in the in the newspapers about Lakewood. Well, I'm not talking about taking that as an issue, but you come out with statements against the certain communities or against certain policies. I do. What do I say that's against the community? You wrote that thing in the Times of Israel, the blogs, and it was just saying how you feel about being a Jewish woman in today's. That was a couple mm-hmm. months back. But I could see someone taking that and using that and saying that's what educated Orthodox people are saying about Orthodox Judaism. And you could disvalidate me. But that, the question is, do you think about, oh, anyone can take me and use me against us? Because there, this is a public platform and anyone could do whatever they want with what you put out I guess it's certainly, it's certainly a possibility. Um but it's not my main concern by any means. My main concern is the community. My main concern is making sure that the community understands what's happening and how bad it's getting so that we can fix it. You know, I love my community. I'm not bashing my community. I'm trying to say, it's like when your foot hurts you, right? And you're limping. It's, you're limping because your brain is saying there's a problem here, right? There's a problem that needs to be fixed. And that's how I feel like I, I see the problems. I'm thank God, capable of expressing them. And I feel very strongly that if we don't speak out about them, then it's not going to get better. So my concern about whether someone's going to see my blog post and say, see what this Orthodox woman is saying, I don't see that as much of a threat. It's possible. People say lots of things. I don't really, I don't really worry about it so much. Okay. That's a valid response. And speaking about the podcast space slash you putting yourself out there or any time of your day now when you're involved in anything, you're probably thinking, how do I make that into a post? How do I bring engagement? How do I grow my platform to bring more? Maybe you don't think about that at all. I know. <laughs> how does how does your, I know you spend a lot of time on this. I, I don't think you get paid. And I would, I would like to know if you have a day <laughs> job <laughs> or is this, or is this your whole life? And so, so how does this affect your day-to-day life in terms of somebody in an influencer hmm. position? I don't think of myself as an influencer, though I'm not going to deny that I have influence. I'm not talking right. fashion I hear you. blogger I hear you. So first of all, I have a business. I write, I do messaging and branding for nonprofits and businesses. So that was my business, is my business. But yes, this has taken over my life. So the first few years, this was completely volunteer. Like the first four years, this was volunteer. And it got to the point where my business and my family was taking a very, very back burner to the activism. And it came to a point where we had to decide, do we stop? Because we're all mothers, you know, some of us single mothers. And it was really taking over our lives. And, And a few women dropped out. They just couldn't, they just couldn't maintain it, which is totally valid. It was Many, many, many hours. I think me being in Bet really made it impossible for me to stop because it was my life. 
I couldn't really just walk away. If I was living in the Golan, it would be lovely. And I could just be like, bye, I don't care, you know, and it wouldn't affect me, but it really does affect me on a very everyday basis. So the first four years was, was volunteer. The, then two years ago, we became a nonprofit. We became an NGO. We got donations from people who did not want us to stop. So that money has helped us to continue and maintain. And yet it doesn't really cover all the bills. So right now, it's we are again in that space of we want to continue. We want to keep going. But at this point, if we want to keep going, we have to have structure. We have to have infrastructure. We have to have you know, space and payments and, and prints and all these things that, you know, we, we create resources for people. We create resources that take time, effort, printing money. So it has kind of, it has become a job, not a full-time job for any of us, unfortunately, but we're working towards it. Next week, we actually have our crowdfunding campaign where we hope to raise $65,000 to support what we're doing. We're going to be releasing this next oh, week. Perfect. Actually. So you guys will see we are in the midst of our crowdfunding campaign so that you can help us keep going. Because the truth of the matter is we get so many emails and messages every single day from people around the world saying, look at this, look at this, or this happened to me. How do I deal with it? Um, and I really don't want to, I don't want to stop because I know that people really need this community. They, they need this community of people who feel the same way and who want a healthy Judaism and they want to know how we can do it, right? Like, it's not just me talking. It's it's a community at this point of men and women from literally all around the world. I'm being asked to come to Australia of all places. Think about it. Australia, who knew? I didn't know. So it's less that I think about my engagement and more that I think about how can I help more people? How can we get this out to more people? But the truth is, it, it, on the one hand, it's a, it's a great thing, but on the other hand, it's quite a sad thing that I don't really have to work at it. People share because they're so upset. It's it's kind of like a train wreck. People stop and watch, and and they sh- and they tell people about it. They take videos. It promulgates itself because people really care about it. So I'm actually learning to use all these. I don't know how to. Instagram is like my least. I don't know. Instagram is the hardest thing for me to use. I don't know if it's my age. I don't know if it's because it's all visual, right? And I'm much more of a words person. So I'm learning. I'm learning. But it's a great whole different audience. You you mentioned social media. It's a whole different audience on Instagram. Different than Facebook. Different than Twitter. Yes. And you could only use it from your mobile devices. Right. Makes it even harder. Right. So I'm like on my computer and it's like, oh, right. Can't use it. But you have a lot of help. I know Rabbi Scott. He's great. Uh, created this podcast, which is an incredible platform because it's a super educational platform. That's really how one of the ways I got introduced to you and your work on an intimate level, because I got to dive deep dive into different specific topics that you discussed mm. with. So I would write your... the podcast has been incredible in the sense that I'm not a podcast listener. And so I feel really bad that I don't listen to podcasts, but I just, I don't ha- if I have 20 minutes, I'm not listening or if I'm washing dishes, I'm, I'm with kids or, or, or whatever. The podcast is an amazing thing because for people who do listen or commute or, or listen while they do whatever it is, you know, it, it's a, it, as you said, it's a great way to get into someone's ears for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is that you do. And it allows us to go into a topic that is harder to do in an, in an article and allows you to have a number of voices at the same time. I think that's what's really awesome is to be able to have a discussion about something with a few people, a few points of view. And our podcast actually went from like, I don't know, like 300 people, 400 people to like a thousand people, an episode. It's a phenomenal way to reach people who, by the way, also it's another platform and it's 
people who they don't have to put your name, they, their name down. So like, I know that there are Roche Yeshiva that are listening to our podcast and I know that because they've contacted me, but they wouldn't follow me on Facebook or they wouldn't write to me on Twitter. So it's like an amazing thing and to get through to another type of audience. The podcast is amazing. Do you ever run out of, of topics? I feel like there are these five topics and I'm like, what are they going to do next? I feel like you're running out of topics. Uh, so we try also to do current events. Yes, there are topics that repeat themselves, but there's always new information, especially living in Israel. You know, like it's not like our Judaism is stagnant. In Israel, we have the Rabbanut, we have DNA, and we have all these things that like start to like come into topics that you think are old topics, but are actually new topics as we're living them here, right? Like we have a Judaism that's alive here in the sense of like Israel's dynamic and we're creating halakh. I'm not creating halakha, but like we're living halakha here in certain ways that don't necessarily happen in diaspora. Um, you know, that the state institutions are religious institutions. There's also the current events, what's happening in Israel. I think people really care about that. And I also think that they want to hear a perspective that they haven't heard before. Like the topic might be a topic that like you've done a million times, but they haven't necessarily done it with three Orthodox women who are living in Israel, but, but come from slightly different backgrounds. Those topics have been discussed ad nauseum, for example, from, let's say, you know, rabbis or Rosh Yeshiva or their teachers in day school, but not necessarily from us who are experiencing the way that the courts are being utilized now or halacha is being created now. I think also what's really great, and this is what we're hopefully going to try to do more often now, is also interview people. There are women who are like scholars in halakha that you just didn't have the opportunity to hear from before, but we're going to be able to give them that platform. We want very much to also give a platform to women and men who are seeing things differently, are doing things differently, are facing the challenges that, that, that the Jewish community and that Israel is facing right now. So running out of topics isn't the problem. It's being able to sit down and it's a lot of work to do a podcast like that. You know, it's not like we're just, you know, like, I don't know, talking about whatever. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of making sure that what we're saying is representative correctly. It's making sure that people are going to be able to hear what we're saying at the same time as wanting to hear what we're saying. So it actually takes a lot of work to do each podcast. And Scott's awesome, I have to say. Scott is really (laughs) so patient and kind. He's so good. He's so good to us. And I know this might be a crazy question, but have you considered leaving your town, like that's one of the ways I deal with <laughs> these issues is I try to live somewhere where I don't have to deal with this in my face, even though when you did speak in the community a few weeks ago, you did say, are you getting mailings from certain organizations that don't have women represented? Or, And, and then I was nodding my head because I do get those mailings or newspapers or whatever does come our way sometimes. So obviously you were saying you can't run away from it, but have you considered moving to the Golan? <laughs> I very much would love to move to the Golan or at least the, the Galil and, and live and be barefoot on a Moshav. That's the truth. But my kids are in good schools and they're happy. And I'm, I might get to the point where I just say, I don't want to do this anymore. I might. It's, it's draining. I have to tell you, it's, it's draining. It's hard. So the other day I wrote a post and I was venting and I was just frustrated and I was just sad and down. And sometimes like I just need to get it out. And now that I'm an influencer, as you say, please, for those who aren't listening, I'm using the, the Joey quotes. Or you probably don't know friends. I'm using air quotes. And sometimes I just 
say things that I might otherwise on another day filter out. But this was really, really a rough day. And I just said how I was feeling. And so many people reached out to say, you know, take care of yourself. Listen, you know, don't let this get to you. We need you. We need you. Don't, don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. And it's really obviously very encouraging and very moving that people care about me and how I'm feeling and, and the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing. And at the same time, it's also a lot of pressure. It's like if I were to walk away, what am I walking away from? Who am I walking away from? What am I leaving not done? And that's that's a, a heavy responsibility. And so while on some level, I do want to walk away. On the other level, I still have some fight left in me, so I'm not leaving yet. But I do, I definitely do take my beach days and I do not answer the phone and I just sit and stare at the Mediterranean and just allow myself to breathe and not worry. Because as we said before, and this is a great theme, taking care of yourself and wellness is super important. And there's no way that you can do what needs to be done if you don't take care of yourself. There's no way. That's absolutely true. Which leads me into something I mentioned earlier, and I wanted to just bring it out a little more. When I saw you speak, I left with this inspirational feel and when I was telling someone oh they they sh you know so and so should have come I, it was so inspiring for me and they were like oh they're not into inspiring type of events I said no that wasn't an inspiring type of events I was inspired by the person I just witnessed run this thing or speak about because I and I was coming from a week where it was extremely hard I don't know what was happening that week but it was like I'm working so hard I'm doing this out of some passion within me that's making me do everything I'm doing. It's not because it's my job. It's a brand I'm building, but it's not representing, oh, I need to put in the hours because I have to pay my bills. This is not how what I do work at all. So seeing someone like you, and I feel like you're doing it on an emergency level, which makes maybe justifies it more than when I'm... I'm not focusing on the people around me because I have to respond to someone. In a way, I do deal with some emergency stuff as well. But just seeing your light and seeing you in person was such an inspiration for me because it felt like, you know what, I'm going to use your word. I'm an activist. I'm not just a musician slash podcaster. I am trying to create a space, a safe space, a community for Jewish women in the arts and entertainment. And it's needed. It's it's very much underrepresented. People who join this community feel like they're lost without it sometimes or often. So I, I want you to know that that was an inspiring experience for me that gave me that extra lift I needed to, you know, continue putting in hours of editing and scheduling and people forget about their interviews and uh, all kinds of issues that come up with, and that's just the podcast end of it. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you that it, giving someone a space is vital because when people have space and they have outlet and they have that fulfillment, they don't get to the emergency stage. You know, like it's really important that people and and women, especially who give so much to so many people in their lives, they give to their kids, they give to their husbands, they give to their community, they give to their uh, their work. You know, but you turn around and what's left for you? Who has the energy for you? That's one of the things we deal with a lot. Is that even women who are conscious of of risks and even women who do know what could go wrong, 
they don't make themselves priority because everyone else is priority and then they're just tired at the end. So they don't go to the doctor for their screenings, right? Even women, women, t- women tell me who, who already know, they're like, thank you. Your campaign made me go, go, made me go and get a screening. And I found a lump. Like I was pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off because that's what we do. It's like the same thing with exercise. If you don't make a time, I go spinning twice a week and I have learning. I have a chavruta. And if I don't make that time beforehand and put it in my calendar, it's never going to happen. That's always the first thing that's going to go. So creating that space and allowing women to have that space is absolutely vital for their well-being and their children's well-being and their community's well-being. So never underestimate what you do. It's very, very important, really. I have you on record saying that, so thank you. (laughs) Okay, so is there anything else that we should talk about that we haven't touched upon yet? I think that what I'd like to say is that anyone who's listening, anyone who feels that there's something wrong in their community that's unhealthy, uh, whether it's about women, whether it's about kids, whether it's about representation, whether it's about women speaking, whatever it is that you see in your community that you feel could be done better, should be fixed, don't wait for somebody else to do it. Find other like-minded people who may agree with you and sit down with them and try to figure out, hey, this is this is bothering me. Does this bother you? There's no women on the board of the shul. Maybe we should get a woman on the board of the shul. Is there anybody here who would want to run for that? You know, there's not been women speakers in the shul. Maybe we should get women speakers in the shul. Is there a kid safety program? Is there a suicide prevention program? Anything that you can think of that your community might be lacking or might need, don't wait for someone else to do it absolutely can be something that you pick up. And if you need any assistance or, or, or what can I do or how do I make it happen, we're here, Chochmat Nashim, on Facebook. We answer the messages all day long. <laughs> Just remember that we're seven hours ahead. And, and really reach out to us, follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and, and be in touch with us. Let us know what you're seeing, because we have our strength from those communities around us, and we want to be able to grow our community and, and keep that network going, because we get calls from all different types of of people who need different types of things and we're so happy to be able to help. So I think anyone in who's listening who, who feels that something's bothering them, they should definitely reach out and, and remember that you're never alone. There's always someone who feels the same way, at least one other person who feels the same way as you. I think that's one of the most amazing things about what we do is that people always say, I'm so happy to find you. You're the reason I'm still from. I didn't think anyone else like like me was out there. I needed to hear this perspective. And I just feel like that to me means so much. So anyone who's listening, who feels that they may want to see some change, just join us. Definitely. We'll post all the links. And one last thing, I just to differentiate between some of the things you do and some of the things in the arts, I think women in the arts have to deal with halacha a lot more than just the issues you speak about with pictures and media. So it's more touchy. It's easier to just say not kosher, throw it all out. And we're trying to create a space or show feature women's lives who are doing their art in a way that works for them within their Judaism and their communities. But, and obviously women who can speak publicly or, or play instruments, those also communities are uncomfortable and they wouldn't hire women for these kinds of gigs. But if there's anything you think, do you think this is something that will be able to change and communities will be more open to having women represented in the certain entertainment space that men are dominating right now when it comes to these 
gigs and positions. I presume you mean singing and dancing in front of a mixed audience? Not singing and dancing. There's speaking engagements, there's playing instruments, uh-huh. the stuff that women can do. So interesting. I feel or I find that here in Israel, at least, the restrictions are really on singing and dancing. There are women in symphonies, there's women in religious women and speaking engagements, but whatever, it gets to men and women, whatever. I don't know so much about it in America. I didn't know that women performing instruments was a problem. So that's kind of surprising to me. What I would suggest then is to really make an effort, and perhaps we can help you with this, finding those rabbinic figures who are willing to speak out about the importance of women being able to perform and how it's not a halachic issue to have instruments uh, or to have women playing instruments or something like that. I think that if if there's a need for women to express themselves more and there are boundaries that are happening that are beyond halacha, then that's something that needs to be dealt with because this is another type of extremism that that needs to be differentiated, halacha, and cultural and societal norms. There's no reason to keep a woman from playing instruments or, or keeping a woman from speaking or keeping a woman from doing those things that are not forbidden. That's surprising to me to hear, and I think that it should be worked on. I mean, have you seen a woman in a wedding band ever playing the drums or the violin? In Israel, no. I was just at an event this week, though. There was a woman violinist, incredible. Ariella Taitlin. Oh, my God. Blonde. Yes, and she has the stage presence, and she's getting out there. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. And then she was, like, in this, like, four-story high chair. I was like, what? What? It was gorgeous. It was amazing. I don't really go to a lot of performances. You're kind of outing me. You don't listen to podcasts either. That's okay. You're too busy. (laughs) I know. It's it's so bad. I will keep my eye out. I will keep my eye out. Well, you know what happened when the bride drummed at her own wedding. Well, for anyone listening out there, we'll post a link to the story. So I'm going to keep my eye out now. I'm going to start looking up. Yeah. These kinds of things, just putting ideas into your head, into anyone's head listening here. This has been really nice conversation. I'm really happy we did this. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Your work is amazing. Thank you. And to you, dear listener, thanks so much for sticking around until the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please share it with a friend or family member you think may enjoy it. This podcast is not for women only, but this is a space to feature women specifically and to provide value to women. So... If you have any feedback or you'd like to be featured on the show, please do reach out. Next week, we will be having a conversation with A Time for Dance with Sheila Meyer from California. And I hope you check in with us next week. Have a great week and stay warm. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.